Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to a new year here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Hopefully, you had a wonderful New Year's Eve celebrating. I know I did. And hopefully, you've made yourself prepared for the year coming into it. But if I could, I would like to give you some possible ideas for New Year's resolutions. And these aren't going to be ones like weight loss or read a book, um, though those are great resolutions to make. And I hopefully, if you if you made them, you see success in them. No, I'm going to give you some New Year's resolutions real quick that deal with politics. We've got a session, a new session here in Kentucky starting tomorrow in our state legislature. We'll convene tomorrow. And we'll go over what to expect there, some of the first day actions and, and conversations, as well as what can we expect this session later on today. But I do want you to jot these down maybe or just mentally file them away as resolutions that you can make that will make Kentucky a better, more conservative place for people who believe in that, if you believe in conservatism, if you believe in liberty and freedom and conservative values, uh, well, then I put forward to you these simple resolutions. It's easy. Most of them. Some of them do require hard work. First resolution is if you've never done it before, please, this year, call on a bill at the state level. Don't call your congressman about some national bill, uh, you know, which just spades a spade. Congressional districts are about, oh, 750,000 or so citizens. Meanwhile, your state Senate districts are right around about 115,000, and your state House districts are about 45,000 people. So your voice can make a huge difference on simple pieces of legislation. So please, my first resolution for you is if you've never done it before, please Call on a piece of legislation to your legislator this year. Leave them a note. You call up LRC, go online, Google KYLRC, LRC, it stands for Legislative Research Commission, and just give them a call. Tell them you want to leave a message for your legislator. Just do it once at least. And then also on top of calling them, make sure as well you send them an email. You can find their email on the LRC's website too as well. Shoot your legislator an email. And if you don't know who your legislator is, that's okay. When you call up to LRC, they'll tell you uh, who your legislator is and you can leave them a message. That's my first thing. Here's my second resolution for you. Get involved with a campaign, uh, even if it's only for a few days this primary season. Don't get involved. Once again, I, I don't worry about getting involved in federal campaigns, you know, Congress and everything else. Chances are uh, your congressional representative, uh, especially if they are Republican here in Kentucky, and they're not in Louisville. <laughs> um, if is if you're in a conservative congressional district here in Kentucky, your congressman doesn't need your help winning the primary. They are the default winner as it is. They there are congressional primaries where the incumbent has challengers and doesn't even spend a dime hardly at all during the primary because well they simply don't have to let alone knock doors. Money's not short for them. Uh, most of them have sold out their votes a long time ago and they're continuing to get paid for it. So don't worry about helping out a congressional district race. Don't worry about a local race. Worry about your state house race or a neighboring state house race if there's not a primary person you want to support in your house race. The reason why I tell you to focus on those house races is because one person can make a huge 
impact. The fact of the matter is, is your average state house primary might have around three on the high side, 4,000 voters in it in total. And that's probably spread across right around about uh, 2,500 to 3,000 households. So there's only 3,000 households that will end up voting in your state house race uh, in a Republican primary in most districts. You go out and if you knock 100 doors in one day, and I know it's uncomfortable knocking doors and you got to talk to people, but if you can get past that and say, I'm making a resolution to go out and make a difference this year, going out knocking four or five days during a primary for somebody you support, especially in the state house, makes a huge difference because you can hit 100 doors a day. That's 500 households out of the 3,000 that need to be hit. Just you and five others do that. You've hit every single household in the district. And state house races are ones where if you have enough people willing to go out and hit doors, talk in their community, communicate with others, tell people to vote for this person. It doesn't matter how much money the other person has because they can't compete with getting six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 people out to hit doors and talk to every single person several times over telling them why they should vote for the other guy. That money just won't matter as much in those races. And that's where your individual time can be a huge difference. You literally alone could be the difference between winning and losing. There are house races where take for an example, uh, candy Massaroni out of the 50th house district, I believe two years ago, and she's got a primary opponent this year. So make sure if you're in her area, you get out to support her. She's a great representative, uh, of course, hated by the establishment. So they went out and found a primary opponent for her, but she won her race by less than uh, 100 votes, I believe. If memory serves me properly, Candy, uh, Representative Masseroni, feel free to correct me. I know you listen to the show, uh, but I believe it was less than 100 votes. Uh, you know, assuming that even if that came from 100 different households, that's what she won by, 100 votes. 100 different households, if each vote came from. That is one volunteer's one day of working made the difference in her win or loss in that race. That is a perfect example of how just a day or two or three or four of your time this primary season can make a huge difference. So first we have contact a legislator, call them about a bill. We have second, go out and knock a door or two or make phone calls if you can't really get out there and move as much for a candidate of your choice. And then three, donate to a person running for office locally. Don't, I, and by locally, I mean your state house, state senate, your magistrates, something like that. Well, magistrates aren't this year, I do not believe, but anyways, go out and so give, whether it's 25 bucks, 50 bucks, hundred bucks, you can give a max of 2,100, give it to somebody for the first time in your life. Maybe donate to a political candidate, especially one that isn't the establishment, isn't an incumbent, uh, or if they are an incumbent is one of the good ones because they're not getting thousands, tens of thousands of dollars from the corrupt forces that seek to control our legislature here in this state. Uh, they haven't sold themselves out yet. And your hundred bucks or 50 bucks or however much you can spare over the course of this giving season will make all the difference to their campaign and campaigns get expensive. You need to be to, to run a successful state house race. We always tell people for recruiting them in to run for office, which we do. I, I do. And there's a few others amongst the state that are working against those corrupt forces, working against the establishment here in Kentucky. 
and going out and trying to find good candidates to run in races. And anytime we sit down and talk with them, we say, look, you're going to need at least 15,000 to run for the state house, probably 50,000 if you want to run a really, really strong race. And so often, if they don't have it themselves, they don't have a way to raise it because they just don't have those uh, you know, connections that a lot of these other people do that give them rich friends who seek to make a buck off the back of the taxpayer and it becomes harder for them. So please give a donation. So, so make a call on a bill, knock a door, make a phone call for a candidate, and then also donate to a candidate. That's my new year's resolutions for you in order to make a difference here in Kentucky this year. It's a tangible difference. You'll be watching those vote totals roll in on your local primaries, maybe for the first time. And when you see your candidate win, you'll feel a sense of pride. You'll know you did something, especially if they only win by a hundred or a few hundred votes. You know that you could have made all that difference. And on the flip side, if you don't do anything and you happen to be watching those primary results roll in and you get saddled with another awful legislator for another four years or two years, you might be asking yourself, man, I wish I had done more. So often people say, how, how have we gotten this way? How do we make a difference? How do we win our country back? Well, it starts locally. It does really start locally. I mean, just let's just take a look here. You know what Joe Biden's first elected office was? County council, the same thing as a magistrate here in Kentucky, local race. You know what your, uh, uh, um, you know, Massey's first elected position as Congressman Massey was Judge Executive Lewis County, McConnell's Judge Executive of Jefferson County. James Comer, state house rep. The list goes on and on. They win these local races and your actions during this primary season could be the difference between getting the next Thomas Massey or Rand Paul into their first position or allowing the next Joe Biden to win his first election. We'll be back after this short break to talk about what we can expect this upcoming session. And you're back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. So tomorrow starts our legislative season. This is uh, what do we what do we call this? Election season is where we hurt them. Legislative season is where they hurt us. But what can we expect these first few days? Well, there's going to be a few key votes that take place. One, to establish, of course, the session, and then two, to establish the rules for the legislature. Now, normally this is pretty uneventful. However, to remind you, there has been a recent push by some members of the more, uh, quote-unquote, liberty conservative, I call it conservative Republican caucus, uh, in order to really step it to this liberal uh, leadership we have that we're dealing with here in Kentucky. And the reason why, by the way, to explain this, we're going to talk about the Senate here in a bit, but in, in the House, to, to understand what's going on, keep in mind, the House didn't get control of the legislature until uh, January 2017 would have been when they uh, took over control. And so any legislator that's been in there longer than six or seven years was a part of the minority party at the time. They're used to their bills not getting done or having to compromise a lot on what their legislation is and says in order to, well, get something done. The problem is they've carried over this belief of needing to compromise constantly and this fear, this constant fear of somehow your 70% red district will vote you out one day if you vote too conservative. It's so strange, but it is what goes on in the house. And that is part of what causes the problems. And so often what we see out of people in leadership is they're behaving and acting 
how how they do because while they are chosen by the body as a whole to be in those positions they can only hold on to their position as long as they're actually in office and so what it ends up doing is take for example house speaker david osborne voted on by a district of 45,000 well that district of 45,000 he cares more about pleasing than the body as a whole because if he doesn't have the house seat to begin with he can't be speaker he can't do it and so because he cares more about pleasing the House District as a whole, the decisions, for example, like David Osborne, Jason Nemus, he's in the leadership, the decisions they make is more represented by what they need to do to stay in office than it is about what's good for Republicans as a whole. Do you understand that? So in order to help uh, decentralize the power system, in order to not have one person deciding what's good for everybody based upon what their district of 45,000 want in the House, there's been some rule changes that we've seen a push on from the conservative Republicans like Savannah Maddox, Representative Felicia Rayborn, uh, Representative Rawlings and Proctor and Doan. Um, Representative Callaway and some of them pushing forward uh, uh, these rule changes that include, and we've covered these in depth before. So if you need more information about why these are important more than the quick summary I'm going to give you, go back and listen to that show. I believe it's called uh, Possible KY House Rule Changes. Anyways, uh, and you can find those by visiting theandrewshow.com. Once again, visit theandrewshow.com. You can see past shows there. You can click links to go to archives in various places that are comfortable for you to listen to through the podcasting and video platforms of your choice. Anyways, so what are some of these uh, things? Well, one is letting each member have at least one bill heard in committee. So this is important. Sometimes legislators will propose bills for years on end, but because leadership doesn't like them enough, or more importantly, they don't cozy up enough to the committee uh, chair as a whole, which is selected by leadership, uh, they're not getting along well enough for them. Very good bills just because of who sponsors it won't get a hearing even in a committee to begin with, has no chance of passing. So good legislation can die because the sponsor isn't friendly enough with the chair it ends up in. So allowing each member to have at least one bill heard in committee and allowing that member to pick the bill, incredibly important for getting some really good red meat conservative legislation done that perhaps those in leadership uh, or, or those in the establishment don't want us addressing because for some reason there's some boogeyman out there that they're suddenly going to get voted out by a bunch of liberals if they do it. Another one we have is fixing discharge petitions to lower it down to 25 members. So before it was, I believe, 51 uh, people had to vote yes to do a discharge petition. But that is, is if a bill, uh, they're refusing to call a bill to the floor or call it into a committee or what have you, well, you can sign a discharge petition to get the bill immediately called to the floor as it sits for debate and passage. And so in the past, that's taken 51 members of the House. So basically, the bill has to have all had so much support, it's already going to pass. And then for some reason, the leadership to not want to see it in order for a bill to not get called compared to, uh, you know, doing it with 25 members. Well, that gives you the ability to, we, we don't know if a bill is going to pass or not, but let's hear it. Cause so often too, as well, uh, there's the real conversations. The sausage gets made behind closed doors. They have caucus meetings where the whip and majority leader will have a meeting. They'll talk about bills and they'll see where people's votes fall on them. And they'll figure out whether a bill will pass or not before they ever call it to the floor. 
But that spares a lot of representatives from ever having to go officially on the record because these caucus meetings are not open to the public necessarily. Their vote records that they take in them as they understand the bills is not publicly available in any way, shape, or form. In fact, if a legislator shares information out of that caucus hearing and actually tells you who's against a bill, they could face being kicked out of caucus. This is why if you ever talk to your legislators and you say, hey, why isn't this bill moving? They say, well, there's some in the caucus that are worried about it. They won't tell you who because they're afraid if they do, they'll get kicked out of the Republican caucus. And if they get kicked out of caucus, well, then they're basically, they're worse than a Democrat in the legislature. They can't get anything moving. They, they'll get stripped of committee assignments possibly, and they'll just be removed and unable to be a part of any kind of bill conversations moving forward. And so it stops them from sharing important information with us. And more importantly, it stops your representatives from having to go on the record by lowering it down to 25 members, you can discharge out a bill, forcing them to have to go on the record on certain things. Committee chairs and vice chairs to be selected by the committee. This is incredibly important. Committee chairs have a lot of power over the bill's uh, passage. If a bill gets assigned to a committee, the committee chair has to call it forward for a vote in the committee. Sorry if I'm talking very fast, but I've kind of covered this before a few months ago, so I'm trying to not bore everybody who listens to every single episode. Uh, so if, if, if you've got questions on this, feel free to email me info at the and I'll be happy to answer them for you. But anyways, the committee chairs and vice chairs, when a bill gets assigned to a committee, it's the committee chair who's in charge of deciding whether or not that bill gets grabbed and pulled forward for a vote in the committee. And it's got to have that committee vote before it can get pulled onto the floor for passage, unless you do a discharge petition. And so the, the chairs, a lot of times of these committees, especially, uh, you know, House and Senate, if especially in the Senate, because the Senate has always had to hand their bills out, there's that coming uh, into these rules, too, as well. Well, they'll, they'll put the people they want as chairs leadership will. And then when they don't want a bill to move, they just turn to the chair and say, never call that bill. And then a bill is never called because the chair wants to keep their position as chair. If they call the bill, they'll get removed as chair. They'll put somebody else in his chair. And, and then they're like, well, what good did I do by doing that? Right? So instead by having committee chairs and vice chairs selected by the committees themselves, you remove that power from being in the legislator, uh, the, the leadership and into those few hands to control, because the way it's set up now, those few hands of leadership, about four or five, control pretty much every single thing that's going on in the legislature. And those of you who aren't in that four or five core group have next to no power unless they grovel at their feet for a committee assignment, at which point then they can have some power as far as that goes. So by having them selected by the committee themselves, you can see how that would lead to a pretty good um, situation where they're not getting removed because they're not unwilling to do the bidding of leadership. Other thing here is the rules committee um, can uh, gets four non-leadership members. So right now the rules committee is made up entirely of leadership. Uh, they are basically in charge of setting the orders for the day, deciding what bills go forward and what bills don't, as well as kind of getting to decide uh, uh, what are going to be the orders of the day for that day by adding four more non-legislative members, two Democrats, two Republicans. It disperses that power out to more people. So that way it's not just in the hands of the few and the more uh, spread out we can get power, of course, the better. 
And then uh, members being notified in advance that they're to be removed from a committee, and then the committee can vote on it. So I mentioned before, I said, well, if they uh, select the chair out of the committee, and then leadership says, hey, don't pass that bill, and the committee chair calls it anyways, well, if they're being voted on by the committee, the leadership can't remove them. Unless, of course, they just remove them off the committee completely. So this deals with that by saying, look, if the majority of the committee says, no, 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 you're not going to kick this person off the committee because they just disagree with you four people in leadership. That's not going to happen. They can step in and say, nope, not going to happen. Bills must get assigned in five days. So when a bill becomes uh, comes up, it gets moved into uh, the committee on committees, which is made up of leadership, then they assign that bill right now to a committee. And they can just choose to never assign a bill to a committee. And then that in turn is a way that these four or five people, members of leadership, can kill a bill and stop it from ever being heard. And so by saying it must be assigned to a committee, well, now uh, they can't sit on it and it comes down to the committee chair and vice chair to call a bill. And then if they're not doing their job, well, then the committees can remove them and they're not uh, responding to leadership. Uh, committees must operate under the same rules as the House. That's a good... That carries over some of the, the, there's some weird rules and Robert's rules of order, but it's not exactly Robert's rules of order that they use in, in the committees that come over from the house. So carrying that over, good idea. But does this have a chance to pass? And more importantly, those who don't want to see it pass, what are their publicly stated reasons? Why, why don't they want to see it pass? Well, we'll be covering that after this short break. <clears throat> You're listening to the Andrew Kubrater show, your source for Kentucky politics. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrider show. Before the break, we're going over these possible rule changes. I'm not going to rattle through them again. I already had to speed through, I feel like, a 12-minute segment to cover all of them and what they affect. And, and I did that so you could understand how big of a deal it is. Okay, So why is this a good idea? Well, it's always a great idea to move power from the hands of few to the many. That's how you stop vast corruption from happening, generally speaking. It's also how you end up allowing the will of the people better to be heard, the will of the people throughout the state to be better heard. That's just a good idea. Intrinsically, it's a good idea. Now, why do detractors of this? Why would somebody not vote for this? Well, common claim is going to be that, well, these rules will help the Democrats, quote unquote, have more power. And by have more power, they mean that, well, the Democrats, one of the rules is, is that every member will get one bill heard in a committee. And right now, not many Democrat bills get a hearing to begin with. And now they'll, they'll each get one. So we'll have 20 a year in the House and that get a hearing in the committee. But they say this is that's just we can't have that. That's awful. But is it? Is that really such a bad thing? Is it really so bad that the Democrats of Kentucky, who so often never really get to go on the record about how they feel, what are they for? We know what they're against when they vote no on every single conservative thing. We've never really heard what they're for. And when people understand what they're for, not just what they're against. It also makes people run and hide. Now, the other thing is it would force some Republicans to take votes they don't want to take. We'll be covering here in a bit a particular Republican that loves to shy away from votes they don't want to take. But but it will force Republicans to degree to go on the record on things that are important to the liberals. Don't you know want to know where maybe your your Republican representative or state senator or House rep stands on things like red flag laws, a bill that I'm sure would be proposed by 
Democrats or healthcare for all or universal basic income or any number of other liberal wishlist items? Don't you want to know what your representatives actually think about those items? It's very easy to say you're against it when to you in a room, maybe if you show up to a party meeting or to mention in a comment online to one person if they ask, but it's something entirely different to actually have a voting record on these items. Don't don't you want to see how your representatives would vote when put forward with liberal ideas? Are they going to pass? Probably not. No. It also forces discharge petitions uh, potentially on Democrat bills because there's 20 members of the Democrat Party. They only need to go out and get five Republicans to join in, five or six Republicans to join into this discharge petition. But I think that'd be important, too. Let's find out who the five Republicans are that are for liberal things that nobody wants done. Let's find out who they are so that way we can remove them. I say that's fine. Now, those who are for it, people like me, were saying, look, this establishment, it's out of control. It's compromising away everything. We've got to have change. We got to give power to the rank and file members of our legislature and stop allowing these tyrants at the top try to run everything. Tell us all how it's going to be. Shelve good bills, refuse to get them heard, kill good bills. You know, we can think of a few, but why is it that one person's opinion? like drag show David Mead, can sit there and his one opinion on killing drag show bills, bills stopping children from attending drag shows. He voted no on amendments in order to stop that. There's an amendment to be added to a bill to stop kids from going to drag shows. He voted no on it. Lindsey Tishner passed a bill out of the Senate, which is already very liberal, banning children going to drag shows. Didn't get picked up. You know, do we ask the people in leadership like David Mead, like Drag Show Mead, why, why, why didn't you pick that bill up, Mead? What's your problem with it? Get them on the record here. I think that's incredibly important. I'm not saying they're necessarily bad legislators. I want to hear them defend themselves, though, when it comes down to it, don't you? I do. At the same time, moving that power and allowing one person who likes to apparently children going to drag shows from stopping it. I think that's a good thing. Overall, it's a good thing. But will it pass? Well, I'm going to assume it will receive the support of that massive Democrat caucus of 20 because, of course, it gives them more of a voice because it gives everybody in the legislature more of a voice. So the question is, is can they come up with the other uh, 30 or so people to vote on it. Well, I know there's between 10 or 15 for sure that I can think of that on principles of believing that power should be, uh, uh, you know, power should not be focused on the few, but should be cast out amongst the many. I know that there's 10 or 15 that intrinsically believe that no matter what was going on would vote for that. So the other question is, is there, can they get the other 15 or so they need has, has leadership upset and put in the corner enough people that they can gather 15 or so votes to get these important rule changes done? I don't know. I don't know. That'll be an interesting thing to watch. The other thing to watch, so that's in the House. The other thing to watch this session in the Senate is who was there grooming to take over as majority leader. Remember, he's not running for re-election this year, so come uh, session 2025, that position of majority leader will be open. 
And one person who's been mentioned by him and a few people mentioned is Senator Julie Rocky Adams, who is objectively an awful decision. Like, I, I get it. There's only like two or three very conservative people in the Senate in the first place. So you're probably not going to get, you know, somebody like a Lindsey Tishner to be majority leader because just frankly, the vast majority of legislators, generally speaking, they're they're just more liberal. They, they may have an R next to the name, but they're very liberal. And this comes from, you know, we were talking about the House, why they're so liberal. Well, the, the Senate took over, Republicans took over in the Senate in 1999. So you got to think about the mindset is of the people who've been in the Senate from 1999 to 2017 until the House took over with Republicans. I mean, they first were in the minority uh, of not in the minority if they're before 1999 they were but so they're in a majority in the senate but it was slim majority so they're doing everything they can to hold on to every seat so they're compromising everything away they can republican value wise on top of that they have a house that they have to compromise with that is majority democrat so they have to come to an agreement between the two senate and the house and this constant compromising as well as this fear of losing your position has all has created this very, very liberal Senate. I mean, there's a saying in the house and that is that uh, the Senate is where good conservative bills go to die. And it's very true. It is, it just is. And so um, it's just a very liberal group. I get it. You're not going to get the more newly elected, very conservative senders in there, but you could, it'd be hard pressed to find somebody worse for that position than Julie Rocky Adams. It would be very hard to do. Uh, I mean, you know, like I said, the Senate's very liberal, um, but Julie is especially very, very liberal. Um, let me play you. So this is her uh, comments on House Bill 470. Now, House Bill 470 was a bill to, to, to ban gender transitioning surgeries on minors. Here's what she uh, had to say. Uh, Senator Julie Rocky Adams. To yeah, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I've been pretty clear that um, I, I don't like the bill. I've met with the sponsor. I, um, I've uh, really struggled with the language. Um, and I told the chairman today that the only way that I would vote yes is if he promised that we would make um, some changes to the bill. And um, he has assured me that um, in order to get myself and other caucus members comfortable, that he would agree to some further changes. So with that, I vote yes. So she voted yes on the bill, but admittedly said she didn't like the bill. What did 470 do fully? We'll be looking into that as well as that was her committee conversation. What happened when the bill got out onto the floor? How'd she vote then? Well, we'll be covering that after this short break. You're listening to the Andrew Kubretter show, your source for Kentucky politics. If you want to reach out to the show, go ahead and email info at the Once again, that's info at the and you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics before the break. Uh, we were talking about um, Julie Rocky Adams being groomed for that Senate majority position. And I played for you a video where she was uh, saying that she didn't like 
House Bill 470. It was promised it would be changed, so she voted yes on it in committee, but she didn't like the bill. Now, what did House Bill 470 do exactly? Well, let me read uh, the summary. It's a little bit longer. We're going to probably cut off parts of it, but let me read to you what it does. State that the provision of gender transition services to a person under the age of 18 by a healthcare provider or mental healthcare provider is unethical and unprofessional conduct. Require an investigation of any report a provision of gender transition services to a person under the age of 18. Require a revocation of the provider's license if confirmed and termination of public funding for a public employee. Require that providers be jointly and severely liable for all damages and costs sustained for providing gender transition services or aiding and assisting a person under the age of 18 uh, to consider or to obtain gender transition services, provide defense to providers refusing to provide services, make failure to report provision of gender transition services a crime, permit an action on violation be taken by parent or guardian of a person before the person per attains the age of 18 and by the person within 30 years of the person attaining the age of 18. Now, that's that's the gist of it. So, so what does it really do? So what it was doing is it was banning the gender transitional services. So, okay. So what happened in, in this last session here, 2023 session, is House Bill 470 was the big bill to address and deal with this out of control gender transition surgeries on minors. And it passed out of the House and then went over to the Senate. And then within the Senate, you had uh, Kimberly Mosier and Julie Rocky Adams working to kill this bill, House Bill 470, because they did not like the bill. The bill goes through committee. They promise to make changes. It goes out onto the floor of the Senate where it gets voted to be tabled. Now, what did Julie Rocky Adams vote? She voted yes in committee to move the bill forward, but then on the floor, when it came time to actually vote on the amendments or came time to vote on doing anything with the bill, she abstained from voting. She said, I'm, I'm not going to vote on that. I don't want to take this hard vote because if I vote yes, well, then I might be upsetting some people on the left and maybe truthfully, based upon her demeanor in that video, she doesn't really think it's a big deal in the first place. She doesn't really think transitioning minors is a uh, giant problem in her mind. And so she just didn't vote on the bill. She decided not to. And her and Kimberly Mosier coming over from the House and her in the Senate is what killed this bill and made them lay it down on the clerk's desk, which is another way of just saying, look, we'll, we'll revisit this bill later. And it looked like it was dead. It wasn't going to happen. But then... When Senate Bill 150, a much lighter do-nothing bill by Max Wise came out of the Senate, a more liberal bill to be able to say, look, we did something about the transing of the kids without actually doing anything. Well, it came over to the House and Josh Calloway filed a bunch of amendments that ended up getting passed that beefed up that bill, made it much, much stronger. And then when it came back to the Senate, it was just a concurrence vote. You can either vote yes or no on Senate Bill 150, and it was just decided, okay, everybody, we're just going to vote yes to concur with Senate Bill 150. But when it originally left the Senate, um, it was done. And so it was before them. You can either do something or do nothing, and we're going to get slaughtered by our constituents if we do nothing. So she's basically forced to do something then. Otherwise, abstained from doing it. Said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not really interested in doing that at all. 
But that's not all. I mean, in 2019, Julie Rocky Adams sponsored red flag gun law confiscation uh, law to take guns away from perfectly law abiding citizens. And then in 2023, Senate Bill 115 by Lindsay Tishner, she put forward a bill to ban children uh, being exposed to drag shows. And mm -hmm. what did Julie do? Well, she passed on voting. She said, eh, you know, I don't think this is that big of an issue. Um, but, you know, okay. And when that bill uh, came forward in the House, that's when the leadership in the House decided they didn't want to hear that bill. But Julie passed on that bill. She couldn't stand up and say, you know what? I don't want 18, I don't want kids under 18 years old. Uh, I think they, they should get exposed to drag shows. So I'm going to pass on this bill. But it's not just what she refuses to support or vote on. It's also what she sponsors. Senate Bill uh, 37, I believe that was out of 2022. Out-of-state pharmacies must be licensed to sell in Kentucky. Why did this come up? Well, because of ivermectin. If you remember, citizens in Kentucky were getting scripts from ivermectin from doctors, but they couldn't fill them. Pharmacies were refusing to fill them in order to treat COVID. And so people would go out of state online and get their ivermectin. That's been prescribed to them, by the way, by a doctor. And this bill passed. And by the way, a Southworth voted no on this. Um, that's notable. A Senator Southworth to vote no because her father is a pharmacist. Uh, very interesting. So clearly, she is someone who is not very conservative. And it's not just me saying that. She's one of the lowest rankings in the Senate amongst Republicans. In fact, the Family Foundation gave her the lowest ranking in 2023 with a score of just 55% conservative voting record. So why is she even still in the Senate? Well, that kind of argument that's made, why is she still in the Senate? Why is she a Republican in the Senate still? Well, they'd say it's because she's in a very purplish district. She's, she's in a very liberal district, so she has to vote very liberal in order to maintain her seat. But remember what I said earlier. The last thing we want, because remember, the majority leader runs the floor, has a lot of control over what bills are moving forward or not moving forward. And so if she takes over that position, her unwillingness to vote on hard things will be carried over into bills not being called forward because she's worried about saving her own skin. That argument of saying, well, you got to be more liberal to be in that district. Even take that as true. And, and I really don't believe that for a number of reasons. We see time and time again that actually if you're in purple districts, being strong conservative uh, actually can give you a higher voting percentage than being um, wishy-washy. Right. We see examples of this, of course, in Congress, too, as well. But but putting that aside, even taking that as true, she's the last person you would want to put in a position of leadership. She's currently in leadership as a majority leader, but she would be the last person you'd want to see on that. And so the question becomes, what is the purpose here of her being in that position? Obviously, it's because she does the bidding of the special interests very well. She brings in money. She's a good fundraiser because she's doing what they want her to do, not what the people want her to do, obviously, but they want her to do. And that they believe is very important to have in leadership. But having somebody who's like in a position where the votes they take is about saving their own skin, saving their own seat. If you're truly conservative, that'd be the last person you want in charge of bills. Right now, she votes how she votes in order to keep her skin. So be it, I guess. 
I would argue that obviously more liberal Republicans a problem, and especially in a Republican-dominated legislature, uh, because obviously, um, you know, a, a Republican in a in a Republican-dominated legislature can get bills passed and amendments passed, which is a uh, poses more of a threat than a Democrat in a Republican-majority legislature, which can't do any of those things, right? But why would you want this person anywhere close to leadership? That is just something I don't understand. So what should you do? Make a difference. And remember, at the very beginning, what I say, I said, make it a New Year's resolution to call on some issues. And maybe this is one. Maybe you need to call up your senator, your state senator. Maybe you need to email your state senator and say, hey, I heard Julie Rocky Adams is being looked at for majority leader. Uh, the Family Foundation gave her a 55% conservative voting record, the lowest in the Senate. Uh, I was looking at some of her uh, abstaining votes from 2023. I was looking at her sponsorship of red flag gun laws in 2019. I just want to voice my opinion to you to not vote for Julie Rocky Adams to be the majority leader. And if we start pushing that now, it's very likely you would see that her opportunities and majority leader would be dead on arrival. Now, who else would they go for? I don't know. I mean, like I said, objectively speaking, she's one of the worst of the worst. You know, you would say Whitney Westerfield stepping up to the plate to be worst of the worst. He's real close there, but of course, he's leaving after this session, so we don't have to worry about him getting that seat. So literally, almost anybody would be an upgrade. Almost anybody. But putting somebody that liberal in, oof. It's a questionable thing to do, and it's just going to continue for us to have these problems as conservatives that we see with Kentucky, that despite us being such a red state, we have to constantly fight against such a liberal overreach. Well, y'all, that's what we've got time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank y'all so, so much for joining me. We'll be back tomorrow. We've got some good, good topics to cover, some things I didn't get to cover today. I'll be covering tomorrow. Remember, if you want to reach out to the show, just email info at theandrewshow.com. Otherwise, We'll see you tomorrow, 9 a.m. on WZXI, 1 o'clock everywhere else. Have a great rest of your day.